Welcome to Truest Blood, the official True Blood podcast. I'm Kristen Bauer. And I'm Deborah Ann Wool. And you've been invited in. I want to do bad things. On Truest Blood. Welcome back to Truest Blood, where we sink our fangs into the series episode by episode. Here we are, Deb, episode 102. We made it. Yep. Can't wait to discuss this with you. Yes. So this week we'll be talking about episode two of True Blood, entitled The First Taste. It was written by Alan Ball and directed by Scott Winant. And later in this episode, we're going to get to interview Jace Everett, who wrote the theme song. So stick around. It's an amazing interview. But first, this week on True Blood. We pick up on Sookie, getting the ever-loving life kicked out of her by the Rattrays. This time, it's Bill who swoops in to save her by disposing of the drug dealers for good and healing her with his oh-so-magic vampire blood. Wow, I feel completely healed. You are. Jason gets picked up for the murder of Maudette, but is relieved to discover it wasn't him after all, which means he can go back to his old horndog ways. The cops, however, remain unconvinced. I didn't kill her. (laughs) I didn't kill her! Well, somebody sure as hell did. Meanwhile, not wanting to stay at home with her passed-out mother, Tara goes to a party with her cousin Lafayette, but just can't seem to enjoy that either. And as if they didn't have enough on their plate already, Tara and Jason go to chaperone Sookie and Bill as they talk to Gran about meeting with the descendants of the glorious dead. A lot of Americans don't think you people deserve special rights. Despite their suspicions, Gran is delighted with Bill, and he and Sookie take a starlit walk through the graveyard where they share their first kiss. I can smell the sunlight on your skin. Romance is in the air, as even Tara seems to finally relax around Jason when he suddenly remembers he has to go see Dawn again. The next day, Sookie learns that high members of the Fellowship of the Sun have been killed in a presumed accident. Knowing what Bill was capable of with the Rattrays, Sookie rushes over to get the skinny. Only to be met with three very imposing vampire callers at Bill's. She smells fresh. What is a girl to do? So this was a crazy episode. We got to yeah. to know a lot of our characters better. Um, the main thing that stood out to me was we sort of have this small town with these big personalities. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, we'll start, uh, you know, Kristen, what was your favorite moment from the episode that sort of exemplified that idea? Oh, there's one that just keeps coming back into my head. It, it just... I don't know. It just says so much about both of those, (laughs) where we are and the people. So when Bill tries to glamour Sookie and she fakes for a moment, she pretends it's working. (laughs) And then that big laugh busts out, which is one thing I love about Anna. She has this incredible big laugh. That's her laugh. Yes. Right. So it's the chemistry between them. They're mm-hmm. on a walk. You know, he says, can I take you on a walk? It's just so Southern. Yes. And, and 
ancient and and then um you get the feel of the place mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. romantic you know the episode first kiss it's our first kiss yes but it's amazing it has that element of surprise to it as well right yes. so that you're you're roped into this gothic romantic <laughs> southern you know story and then the wonderfulness of Suki is that she has this romantic side but she also has this very pragmatic side yes. where the romance can immediately be broken into this big guffaw yes. <laughs> that, you know, that vampire, you know, he can't he can't get into her brain and she yeah. can't get into his brain. And what a sort of perfect pairing that is. What a uh, and perfect there, there is, pairing. There is a little bit of something, something silly to that, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. And, you know, Suki, yeah. they, I think five times or something, everyone said she's a good girl. Yes. So she's a good girl. <laughs> Jason is She's dumb. These are like the things that were repeated over <laughs> yes. and over. So yeah, we're we're really diving into a couple of our our main cast this season or this episode. So Suki and Bill, we get to know more about them, um, yeah. and then Tara and Jason. There's a lot more information on who Tara and Jason are. Yes, we start to see Tara and this kind of dual life she's living, where yeah. she has this mother that she, essentially she's caring for because her mother is incapable of caring for her, mm-hmm. um, and. And Suki, who she loves so dearly and feels protective of. And then Jason, who she's, you know, holding this torch for. Yes. And it's interesting because Tara is so smart and so independent. And yet she has this crush on dim Jason. (laughs) But I really think those flashbacks, they help ground her. Who help Mm -hmm. understand the history between these two people and why she would have these feelings for him that that maybe no one else can, you know, Dawn and Maudette and all these women mm-hmm. that Jason takes up with don't know that side of him. Those flashbacks um, are so helpful yeah. throughout yeah. True Blood. They're such a wonderful tool. We see a lot of them with Suki this episode as well we and her do. struggle as a telepath. Yeah. Yes. And being accepted or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal. Um, and the relationship, you know, when Lafayette calls Tara and she says, come help me with my mom. And he says something like, how many times have you asked me to do this? I can't face cleaning her up and putting her to bed. It's just too goddamn depressing. What's depressing is how often I get this phone call from you. That's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. So we get that relationship, the two relationships, the mom and to her friend Lafayette. And her and her cousin. Yeah. Her cousin mm-hmm. Lafayette. And then really seeing that she's... She's trapped and she's lonely, maybe, you know, yes. that she she tries to go to this party and it doesn't work to, you know, pull her out. And really, it's it's her found family in Suki and Jason and Lafayette that that bring her and Sam, I think, to a certain extent. You know, yes. we don't see a lot of him this episode and we're going to deep dive into him a little later um, yeah. because obviously there's a big mystery around Sam. Big mystery. We just, yeah, he has a crush on Suki is kind of the, one of the things <laughs> we see. But There's a lot of unrequited love going on in yeah, this Yeah, there's a lot town. of unrequited love in this town. I think Jason also fascinates me as well because as much as he's you know, this sex addict and this egomaniac and all of that, you know, he's genuinely shook this episode like he thinks he did something terrible and and again i think it's good to see that side of him oh that scene Um, with the supporting cast where he he thinks he did it and then he's so happy i mean she's still dead but he's like so happy relieved it wasn't he's so relieved i didn't kill her 
And then <gasps> they say, well, maybe you did because you planted the tape and blah, blah, blah. And then he can't even understand what they're saying. He's yeah. like, what? Oh, no, no, no. I couldn't have done that. I'm not that smart. And they're like, right. Yeah. Oh, oh, come on, Andy. I'm not that smart. Right. But then again, you know, you see that and again, you go, well, you can see why Tara, he's protected Tara through their past. And yes. she feels this protective nature of him as well. And he, frankly, he needs it. And frankly, <laughs> he needs a little yes. protection. He does. Um, and the other thing I like tracking just yeah. for fun is how much he eats. Ryan is an actor <laughs> yes. is so brave in that capacity because yes. I will never drink or eat in a scene because <laughs> I did it once early in my career. Which reminds me of the funniest thing in season seven with you, Deb. So I can't wait to just comment on that someday. (laughs) I I think of it and laugh. I'm not even sure I remember what you're talking about. Oh, my gosh. It was watching the extras drink the true blood. Oh, sure. That's right. Of course. (laughs) And we had learned by then. Yes, because that's only do it in the close up because they were guzzling it on the first take. And we were watching them, and I said, should we tell them? And you said, they'll learn. (laughs) Did I? Oh, that was so maniacal of me. No, we were tired, (laughs) and also we had to go through that learning curve. So I'm always impressed, because I think Ryan eats something like 20 sausages in that kitchen. Something like that. But he always does behavior. He's such a brilliant actor Mm -hmm. playing Mm -hmm. this dim character. Mm-hmm. Well, a little tidbit from that as well. Uh, Lois, who plays Grant, was yeah. those, she was cooking those eggs and those sausages wow. during that scene, and she timed it out perfect every time. They were always edible. So big props to Lois. Big <laughs> props. That. She is, and she is the matriarch. We really see yes. that in this episode. Yes, Grant is incredible, and that you know that leads into a lot of thoughts I had about about small town life, and specifically mm-hmm. maybe southern life as well. That history is such a big part of life and family mm-hmm. and that, you know, that house has been the stack house home for generations and yeah. Bill, you know, knows the man 150, 200 years ago who built it, yeah. um, that every board in that building is not just belongs to Grand, does not just belong to Sookie, but belongs to her great grandparents and her yes. parents and every item in there is an heirloom and and that would make it so much more difficult to move out of town, to leave, to change, because it would be turning your back on so much history. And, you know, myself having grown up in New York, in a city, I don't have that same feeling of sort of history behind me in my things. Um, I have it in my heart. But, you know, that I think is really a specific, maybe rural experience in many ways. I think so, too. And I did grow up with that a bit more. Mm. You know, during COVID, refinished my grandmother's table. <laughs> you know, in fact, I just finished it last week, sadly. Aww. But but right, but how yeah. meaningful is that? It's really meaningful. I couldn't let it go and just yeah. donate it. I had to make it nice again. I'm looking at her chair over there, and yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's a great tease. I mean, we are so excited. We'll be talking to Suzuki Ingerslev, who was our production designer yes. uh, later this season. Uh, and, you know, I think they thought about that a lot. I, I remember mm. her mentioning that a lot of the crew members brought in personal heirlooms from their own grandparents and their own homes to place on Grand's counters, you know, yes. so that it it really had that feeling of belonging. And, and these are old, well-loved, well-used items. Yes. And um, the Compton House. Yes, as right? well. All those old pieces. 
And then I, I think of it in the case of Tara as well, mm. you know, with her mother. And it would be so easy to say, if life is that bad and and you're not getting what you need, why don't you just leave? But when you add that level to it, that mm-hmm. there's this history that's there, it is much more difficult to just turn your back on. And it's difficult to turn your back on family, of course, right. no matter what. But there's so much pressure on her. So much pressure on her. She doesn't appear to have a lot of resources. Yeah. And so you're really, you know, you can feel trapped. Mm-hmm. Um and she's such an amazing sort of play in these dichotomies. She's so outspoken and stands yes. up for herself and a, such an important voice in the story. And then you see her devalue herself at the same time around the people that have that power over her. And I I just think Rutina, you know, Rutina's a Juilliard graduate and yes. just works her butt off. And I, I remember just consistently being impressed with her and yes. would get so excited about the days that I'd get to work with her. And obviously I you got to do know. a lot more. Oh, <laughs> I got on. to do a lot more. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, so happy that I got those scenes with her. Yeah. And that, yeah. that arc later. Yeah. And her toughness and her sense of humor mm-hmm. really comes out in that scene with yes. Sam. Like, why do I have to wear a uniform? Because, you know, I'm a woman. Why doesn't he have to wear a uniform? Right. And why are you sexualizing women? And Sam just, you know, <laughs> says, fine, you don't have to wear a uniform. And also that little bit with Jane Bodehouse. We yes. meet her. Oh, yes. She's a wonderful recurring character. Yes, who's going to become a fixture of Bon Tom. Um, that's Patricia Bethune, who plays Jane Bodehouse. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, yeah, I think she just blew everyone away with her sort of, perfect rural archetype in a way and uh, you'll see a lot more of her upcoming I think yes. she's a, a key part of the big bad next season thankfully we um, see a lot more of her there's one little yeah. moment I hate to even yeah. tease but we do meet Renee in a bit with his right. protectiveness and he does mention he has a sister that's all he I'm does. Say, right just just mark it just so my favorite line too i have to just throw in because there are so many of course right there's all so many oh that reminds me it's not a line but the lafayette lean oh boy right well we're again yeah we're we're probably going to do a whole episode just on lafayette and all of the incredible improvisations that nelson brought to that character. that's it the only character to improvise on the show yes to impress Alan enough to to have earned the right to do yeah, so. Yeah, right off the bat, Alan said he was like, wow, I'm not saying a word. And he does not like or allow or, you know, improvisation. improvisation yeah. yeah. This episode probably, my favorite line is, you know, Suki is asking him, so what can you do? Can you turn into a bat? Can you levitate? <laughs> And then, you know, which we'll get into in a second, too. We're starting to build the vampire Bible of what Mm -hmm. these vampires do. And she says, well, what can you do? And he says, well, well, Bill, you don't seem like a very good vampire. What can you do? I can bring you back to life. And it just occurred to me in that moment. It's so sweet how he says it. You know, he doesn't say it sarcastically, but also that, oh, my gosh, he saved her life. Yeah. This is quite a romance that they're kicking off. Right right from the start there, yeah. Well, the yeah, the like we mentioned there this kind of perfect match. And and even in yeah. that moment we've talked about there's a lot of flashbacks this episode and we see her with these other boys, frankly, that she's dated and how yeah. because of this telepathy problem that she has, 
she hasn't really ever been able to connect with someone. And, and it, it must just be this acceleration yes. of feeling for one another because of these pieces. She can't read him. He can't read her. And it is, like we said, that perfect uh, pairing. It is um, a perfect pairing. It's so sweet how he's vintage. You know, he's like, can we take yeah. a walk? Now, if it's all right with you, I thought that Sookie and I might take a walk. It's such a lovely night. Well, it's all right with me if it's all right with Sookie. He's very old-fashioned. And yeah, I think thinking about that with these sort of old-fashioned Southern values again as well, that he does, he comes according. He, he comes meets according. her grandmother before he takes her out on a date. And he has to pass the test of her friends and family before that's allowed. Yeah, um, that, you so know, That's sweet. just... It's just a really, you know, really unique courtship in that sense that maybe we don't do so much nowadays. And so to see it in a show like this, especially a show that is so, you know, body in many yes, ways. So titillating. It's such a sweet start to something that becomes, you know, very um, intimate very quickly. Yeah. And it's really the core of the show and it sets up the place, the people. Yeah. It's pretty brilliantly done. What is your favorite? Well, moment? I was going to say this actually leads into my favorite scene, which is the scene at Gran's house with Bill and Sookie, Gran and Jason and Tara. Oh, and yes. one, a five person scene. Anyone who's an actor or director who mm. works in, you know, on set knows that shooting a five person scene is extraordinarily <laughs> difficult. It is. You have to not only cover each actor in their mm. close-up, but you also have to cover that close-up from the direction of every person they speak to. Yes, that is so complex. So crossing complex. the line. It's so yes. complex that I don't understand it after 30 years. <laughs> when you want to make sure that when someone turns to look at a character and you watch them do that, that the, it feels like they're talking to that person versus mm -hmm. when they talk to someone on the other side of them. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of having to do everyone's single shot multiple times so at least four times potentially for each of the other characters and the cameras scene. are large you have to rearrange the room you have so, to redo the lighting every yeah. time to make sure that they you know look their best and look the same um and do sound three shots, is an issue. two shots mm -hmm. single shots close up it's it's a huge undertaking when there's five yep. people Huge. So it's such a difficult sort of scene to shoot. And we have Scott Winant, our director on that, is one of my absolute favorite directors yeah. we had on the series. He's incredible. Um, yeah, I, we will absolutely be speaking to Scott, yes. hopefully multiple times on this show. Um, you know, I, I'm i so impressed with what it is, but it, it has this, like we said, old-fashioned, southern, practically like straight out of a Tennessee Williams play yes. quality to it. You know, Gran brings him iced tea, uh, even though he can't drink it. But yeah. I like that he he sort of appreciates the gesture in many ways. Yes. But they also get into some here serious subject matter. I mean, Tara is there to ask, hey, you fought in the Civil War. Yeah. Did you have slaves? You know, and, and yeah. these I'm so glad that Tara is present for that conversation and yes. doesn't allow him or anyone else in that room to shy away or literally whitewash that situation. And, yes. and that he's very honest with her in that moment that he didn't, but his father did. There's this politeness mm. on the surface of everything. Maybe not so much from Tara because she's more honest maybe than mm -hmm. the rest of them. And Jason's not subtle. <laughs> Jason's not subtle enough. But Gran and Bill really feel like they're from another generation. Another time. Yes, yes. 
Yeah, that's a lovely, that's a a packed scene. Packed. And even Sookie, Sookie's the hinge of that scene, right? And she almost has barely any lines. But I noticed that they do do a lot of it almost from her perspective. So that you're you're kind of watching all these people around her decide her life for her. Yes. Until finally she kind of says, all right, you know, I'm doing this, whatever. Yeah, he says, can I take you on a walk? And then. And then there's that moment where Grant says, this is my house. And he goes, but yes. I'm the male. And she goes, but I'm the oldest. And yeah. then Bill's like, but well, actually, I'm the oldest. <laughs> Which is, I'm sure, delightful for her. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's an yeah. incredible scene. I really, really love it. And, and I, you know, I, I think maybe because we know what it takes to shoot a scene like that, you know, it's easy to say, oh, shooting stunts or shooting blood is hard. And all of that is. Mm-hmm. But in many ways, when you see a five plus person scene. Yeah. That's really the moment you go, Oh boy, this is going to take a while. I know everyone always asks, what's your favorite scene that you've shot? You know, which is impossible Mm -hmm. to answer. Yeah. But one of the ones that comes to mind in later seasons, it's just where it was me and another person talking. Like those are just so lovely. Yeah. You can feel it as an actor. There's just so it's hard. A five person scene is hard. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I also really love Tara and Jason's scene after that. Mm. Um, they have a real connection for a moment. And again, he's one of the few people that she really relaxes around. And yeah. she shares with him that she feels unseen and lonely. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, he's not present enough to really be there for her that's so sweet the way you say it and i'm looking through my notes because there's like a line where he's like well she says something about how she's she goes yes i'm not that smart and he goes you know what i'll tell you a secret i'm not that smart either she goes it's It's not not that much of a secret secret. (laughs) so again that perfect tara like down on herself but also like too smart for her own good sometimes i think uh it's just such a it's such a great real moment and again two great actors in a room together i think great it just it just sings um and we have so much of that in this episode and in in all of the episodes yeah that's a big one everything is in that scene family that heirloom quality you use that word heirloom dad that's such a good word for the sets for the place um one little side comment about the place is the moss in Mm. the trees that's right right because that becomes a thing when we're shooting in la los angeles and not louisiana but that moss at that tornado scene at the rat trays in the commentary that was shot in louisiana that's real that's real moss Yes. So we would get a lot of comments about, ah, they overdo it with the moss. But the fact is the mossiest scene (laughs) in the first season is actually Louisiana. Yeah. And nothing was added to that. And it transforms our locations for seven years where it's a pine tree or whatever and they throw moss in it. And I'm like, wow, we're in the South. It's amazing. You really you really feel uh, like it's. It's there. And I think the soundtrack adds a lot to that, too, putting oh, in all of the soundtrack. the insects in the background. And yes. you really feel like you're off in the middle of nowhere where no one can hear you scream. Yes. Oh. Whether that scream is a pleasure or pain. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, the moths. I think it was episode one. They said that they had to <laughs> freeze the moths to then put them on the screen oh, the for moths. the shot yes. and then they would unthaw yes flap so pita has a very specific or whoever it is has a very specific way that you are yeah. ASPCA maybe that you can use moths and yeah. so they are sort of lightly chilled just so yes. that they're sort of stunned get sleepy like then, all of yeah. us do when you're colder you do get they say it's better for sleeping 
and then they, you put them out and you immediately have to get the shot because as soon as they warm up, they just go live their lives. Yeah, go, they go find a light bulb. Yes, they go find a light bulb <laughs> and live their lives. So yeah, there's all kinds of lovely little Southern additions there, making sure the actors, the human actors look sweaty. Yeah. Um, another thing we did was, you know, vampires don't breathe. And obviously it's supposed to be warm at night. And so a lot yeah. of our um, either... There was digital erasing of breath, mm-hmm. but also I remember sucking on ice cubes sometimes in so the that beginning. my breath would be colder and you wouldn't see it on camera. That's so interesting. Lots of funny little tricks. Yeah, because as the show became a mega hit, I think the budget got bigger and CGI yes. technology improved And as we were filming. And so, yeah, in that graveyard scene, Anna comments that they both had fog because it was cold. And then watching it, she's like, where did it go? How did you get rid of that? (laughs) But that is sort of our our first deep dive look at some of these characters. Uh, Let's uh, go on and talk a little bit about our opening titles. Oh, they're so good. But first, a quick bite. This week, Vampire Blood 101. Vampire blood can get humans high, and it commands a tempting price on the black market. Vampire blood also heals humans, as well as enhances their sense of smell and taste and libido. Vampire blood creates a connection between the vampire and the human that has consumed, and they can feel one another, whatever that means. And vampires have tried to keep all of this secret, of course. So we're going to keep tracking these rules as we go. There are many, silver and such. And yes, rules are made to be broken, we will find out. Yes, keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. Well, we can't really dive into True Blood properly until we've talked about the opening titles. Those fantastic images that we see at the beginning of this show every week. Um, It was quite something. It really is incredible. Right? Yeah. So they were created by Digital Kitchen, which I think is uh, the company that Alan worked with for Six Feet Under. Yeah. So some of the, you know, a few of the names of the incredible creators that made the sequence are Matt Mulder, Rama Allen, Sean Federchuk, and Cam Rowland, just a few of them. Uh, And it really is a remarkable sequence. It is. It's so unusual because you and I started filming before the Mm -hmm. show had been released. You did. I, I did not. I started after. The show had been released, but oh. I was just a guest star. So I, when I was cast, I didn't have enough time to watch the show because like there wasn't a Sunday right. <laughs> oh, between right. then and now. So yeah, so I, I didn't see the opening titles, I think, until later on. I think I was surprised and didn't mm. expect and was so impressed. Like it really did feel like a wow, that was something. Yeah. Is it, it's, there isn't one supernatural or vampire. Nope. But they created the feel, right? There's not Mm -hmm. one shot or Mm -hmm. element, but they created that feel. Well, I think one thing that they've talked about, you know, when they've done interviews is, is this idea of the dichotomy of the sacred and the profane. And that, you know, especially in the South, you can start the day by going to church and, uh, you know, speaking on, on being a good person and, and connecting with God. And you can end the day at a bar, you know, 
dirty dancing with someone you just met that night. Uh, and it's just that lovely kind of mixture of those two together. Um, and you see these these wonderful little, uh, you know, you'll see a priest exercising a woman almost yeah. violently, like his hand is on her neck, you know, it's yes. very, you know, graphic. And then there's just this quick subliminal shot of naked writhing bodies. And it, right. it's just putting those two in the same space, which I think True Blood is, at, in essence, trying to do in many ways. And they shot all of that footage mm-hmm. Over four days in yep. three cities, Chicago, Louisiana, Seattle, except yep. the wildlife footage, some of that. like And some know. archival footage. But what's yeah. amazing is it looks like found footage, but mm. for the most part, it isn't. It is stuff that they specifically went out and found. I think the use of color is really interesting. It's primarily yes. grainy black and white with these big pops of red, yes. which you know, has obvious connotations. Yes. And the speed changes, mm-hmm. speeds up and slows down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. In unexpected ways. You know, yes. I, I think there's this idea of kind of jarring you, of putting you off your rhythm a little so that you feel out of control. Uh, you, you, you don't, yes. you can't, ex- you have no expectations. You can't uh, predict what's coming. Uh, it's just a really incredible sequence. I think the, the rotting animal bodies, the sort mm. of rabidness of sexuality and hunger, it just all pulls together so nicely. Uh, the blood drips on yes. film as yes. well. I, that's an interesting thing as did well. Did they say I think how tr- they did that? Did you see I, anywhere? I, I think I think literally they dropped blood on the film uh, you know, while they were cutting. I think it's just really an amazing um, little piece. And one thing to know about True Blood so it started right during the transition from filming on film to properly filming on digital. And yes. pretty much everyone was doing that. But our at least our first season, if not a few more seasons, we'll have to get the right answer on that, was still shot on film. I think five or six seasons were filmed, which was a okay. really big no one was doing film anymore. Yeah. It's more expensive. It's more complex, I believe. Yep. More things can go wrong. Yep. And it was a big decision for the look yes. of the show to, to stay on film. And I think it really works. And it ha- again, it has that slightly gritty, grimy, real life feel. You know, it when does. there's a hair on the film, it just mm-hmm. has that little extra added touch uh, that I think really works for this particular kind of series. Well, I was going to say at the end of it, this is a little, just a little side note, but at the end yeah. of every sequence of filming, they say checking the gate. Yes. And that means that they're looking for a hair looking for that hair. may be <laughs> in the camera and they go gate is clean and then you move on. Yeah. But now that we're all in digital, they still say checking the gate, which means we're just going to make sure we got everything and the little discs are backed up or whatever it means. And I always look at these young kids today and think, <laughs> I don't necessarily want to be that person. Like, do you know where that <laughs> expression comes from? Well, I Lean can into it, you. Kristen. I right? mean, that's what this whole podcast is. <laughs> right. This whole podcast is up being like, you know. You know, and then, you know, there's all those fun things about filming, like the Abbey yeah. Singer. Yes. You know, yes. right? There's oh, so we'll, many. We'll talk th- about that. We'll talk yeah. about all these fun filming things, but it yeah. is a big deal that this is on film, kids. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, 
when we start to look at the actual images too of what they mm. they decided to take either archivally or what they shot, you know, a lot of it is this tension, right? Whether that's religious oh, tension right. or civil yes. unrest, you know, you know, marking towards that, yes. um, sexual tension. It's all throughout there. Yes. Um, I think even like you talked about, the change in speed is about tension for the, an audience member, and so we're seeing this kind of movement. I love it. It actually starts in the morning. You see the sun very close to the horizon. We move yeah. through the day, yeah, and then we move into night, and we sort of see this shift, and then it ends with a midnight baptism in the water. And again, what a perfect allegory for this story, this kind of like starting starting free of sin, fresh and new, moving into this idea of of sin and and dealing with your baser instincts, but then you have a midnight baptism and start fresh again. It's such a a fantastic little bit of storytelling. I'm so glad we're doing this podcast because I'm learning so much, Deb. (laughs) Me too, to be able to go back and really look. Yeah, because I didn't notice that it went from morning to night. And if you gave, I went to art school, graphic design. (laughs) And if they gave me this task of come up with something that is, I don't know how long, 30 seconds a minute, that encapsulates this entire world in this show, what are the tools at their disposal? And one of them, all of these things we're discussing. And I've literally been sitting there like an audience member going, that's cool. But isn't that the nature of art, that if you yeah. see it too obviously, then probably it wasn't very elegantly done. But yes. the fact that it just washes over you yes. is probably a sign that it was really elegantly done. But True. now I really recommend people go back and watch it with this discerning eye and mm-hmm. really see what they've done because there's some genius in there. I mean, they're showing you pictures of predators. They're showing you pictures of carnivorous plants. I even saw, so the very first image, that skull that's underneath the water, that's called a mud dog or a hellbender, which is a prehistoric creature. And they rise up to show a modern day crocodile or alligator, I should say, which is, you know, sort of the, what that evolved into. And so this, again, this idea of history and aggression and, you know, survival of the fittest. It's just all in there and it plays Evolution. on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without, without you knowing. It does. And that obviously vampires are prehistoric. We're learning. Right. Uh, or will learn. And, and that, you know, they have also been with us this whole time. Yeah. It really sets the place. It really does. You know, you sit down and okay, I'm moving into another world. Yeah. And they do that, like you said, without showing a single vampire or right. anything supernatural, unless you sort of count religion within that same realm a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's unusual. Yeah. That's very unusual because I think a lot of shows you're going to see clips from the show. Yeah. You're going to see the cast, you know, the place. You're going to see stuff that's in the show. Yeah. <laughs> this was no characters that you recognize um, and and no, you know, sort of... Uh, uh, actual, visual, literal representation of what you're about to see. But I I think it was a little bit about rural archetypes, you know, kind of that the underbelly of that, you know, exposing that a little bit uh, is what they were trying to do. And to that point, even the text. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So they run around and took pictures and found a lot of resources of these handmade lettering that you might see on the roadside in the rural south, Mm -hmm. um, sort of makeshift signage. And they compiled all of that and created a unique true blood typeface, which is then used to 
write all of the credit titles, all of our names, all of the the actual True Blood title, and then all yeah. of our promotional materials. And so they made a unique typeface for the show based off of I that. I think that's very unusual and brilliant. Yeah. One little fun side fact is that each time your name would end up over a different <laughs> image. You wouldn't know what you were going to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was really fun because, you know, if someone wasn't in the episode, it might shorten or lengthen yes. uh, how many names. And that did shift when your name would come, especially like myself with a W. <laughs> I was always oh. towards the end. So I was at radically different places within that uh, within that uh, sequence. I had the longest name. You Bauer did have von the longest name. I always win that one. Did you? Would, were you Bauer von Stratton the whole time, or did you start as just Bauer? Uh, I must have started as Bauer because I remember that I met Aubrey while we were fim- filming episode nine or something. Yeah, and I'd been single for way too long, and everybody knew it. I think all the cast was trying to get me laid. <laughs> you know, sort of. I think Anna like asked someone to go home with right. me at one point. Well, you were so desperate to play on Facebook with them that uh, they oh, yeah. they needed to get you a buddy. <laughs> I was desperate to be friended by even on Facebook by anybody. I was really desperate as they were. <laughs> and then I met Aubrey and we went to coffee and then he was just visiting LA. So he came back to my house. We talked way too late. At a certain point, I gave him a blanket on the couch because I had to get up at 345 yeah. or whatever. And I went to the set and was like, there's a boy on my couch. (laughs) And Anna was like, what? And everyone gathered round. And then every day it would be like, did you kiss yet? And I'm like, no. (laughs) And this went on for weeks. So finally I had to announce we made out. I mean, (laughs) it was it was a running. Everyone knows my whole on this side, oh. it was, they were so happy for me when I finally got laid. So, so I must have, <laughs> but I wasn't a regular first season. Right. Right. So I think by the time, for sure, by the time I was a regular, I had gotten laid. That's well, right. Married. We would have been at the end. We would have been at the end of the credits or yeah. you know, at the end credits, not the opening credits for the first uh, season or two. Yes. Yeah. Oh, boy. But yeah, I mean, they're, they are just fantastic. They set up the perfect tone for the show. But of course, we can't talk about the opening titles without also talking about the theme song. Inseparable. Bad Things by Jace Everett, uh, who we're going to talk to now here in just a minute, find out how he was inspired to write the song, how it got chosen for this and what that's meant for his career. Yeah. Incredible. The perfect song. Wanna do bad things with you. I'm the can't you sit up in his room. Um so <laughs> Jace, we want to hear for there's gonna be so many people listening who haven't heard the story that I'm sure you've told many times. <laughs> couple. Right? Just a couple. Yeah. But we love to know about your life before True Blood? I didn't have one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next question. Hard to believe. Yeah, so skip all No one cares about my life before True Blood. (laughs) Yeah, how did all this happen? I uh, had moved to Nashville in the early 2000s as a a musician, as a bass player, and uh, I kind of stepped into a record deal that I didn't even know I wanted and I certainly wasn't looking for, and they wanted to make me a country and or Western artist. 
and uh, I was kind of neither, which <laughs> we found out after we put the record out and everyone yawned. Um, <laughs> but but on that record, there was a song that I fought really hard to get put on the record. It's a song I wrote called Bad Things. Right. Um, so we recorded that back in 2004. I'd written it in 2002. And um, it, the record came out. It, it tanked. You know, I was going to country radio stations promoting the record. And this is the time of Freedom Fries and boycotting French wine because they didn't go to Iraq with us. And I speak French and uh, I would occasionally talk to my ex-wife and my son in French on the phone Oh dear! uh, in these radio stations. And what do you know? They didn't take a shine. That's so Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Uh, Also, they may have hated the music. I just like to tell the other side because that feels better. (laughs) <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the, the song came out, we did it on, uh, the tonight show. Um, and it just never really, nothing really happened, but iTunes put it out as a single of the week okay. in 2006, that free download they used to do on Tuesdays mm-hmm. and Alan Ball, uh, apparently just had a Pavlovian habit of clicking yes every Tuesday. And, uh, so he had this huge library of music. And when, uh, he was talking to Gary Calamar, about uh, the music. Gary is the music supervisor for True Blood and a lot of Alan's stuff. Alan said, well, here, just, I don't know who this person is, but geez, we'll use this song as a, as a stopgap. And they sent that song to, uh, I think it's Digital Kitchen in Chicago, who did the opening credits, which have been mimicked so many times yes. now since then. And they, you know, I, I really owe it all to Digital Kitchen because they just, they took what was really kind of a campy, silly song really and they made it seem way more ominous and <laughs> and and spooky than it actually is you know um well i have to say i've never heard a better description of true blood actually something yeah, that kind true. of feels silly campy to begin with yeah, but when you yeah. put that ominous overtone exactly. it becomes something else so what a perfect fit Keep oh my yeah so I, I, it's just blind running luck is how it happened you know <laughs> so better to be lucky than smart that's interesting that you were rejected i know yeah well i mean kismet you know it's a beautiful thing well yeah so the the story i had heard was that alan was actually using it with digital kitchen as a temp track for the opening Mm -hmm. that they weren't decided on it it was just they're like oh something that feels like this and they just never found anything better never found something that beat it and now it's iconic well like like i say digital kitchen hats off to you guys (laughs) they really they nailed it you know and uh thank goodness it's many sliding doors, though, isn't? I always find that interesting because you fought for it to be on the record, yeah. Yeah. right? And then it comes up as a free download on Tuesdays, and Alan yeah. Ball happens to always listen on Tuesdays, and then he works with <laughs> Gary and Digital Kitchen, and they like it, and then they really it, it fits so well with those images they came up with. I mean, a lot of shows will just have music. Yeah. It, it, not quite as iconic as what happened with Bad Things. It, it really, it, I can't even imagine another song over the opening credits. <laughs> it's so true. And, and one of the things that, that I've noticed, you know, we now always have the option to skip intro right. on, on all these platforms. Right. Yeah. And uh, I've caught myself doing it. And, I, and I've made myself stop, even if I don't like the intro, because I realize yep. the more people do that, People are just going to, I mean, a lot of shows don't even have opening credit songs anymore, you know, because they realize how they realize how impatient the viewers are. Yes. And uh, it's like you guys. What if you guys didn't get your name in the credits, you know, because people didn't care, you know, and it's 
it's not good for us as artists to we need we need those credits to, in order to get the next credit, you know. So yeah, that's yeah. a really we've talked good point. we've talked a lot about how True Blood was one of the last in this wave of streaming and skip intro and binge watching, you know, it was in that last sort of set of shows that you had to wait every Sunday night. You had to, you know, you had to watch the recap from last week. You had to watch the intro credits and hear the song. And, you know, and that is really sort of a unique experience to those last 2000, you know, 2010 years that, you know, we don't really do that much anymore. Yeah, and people would get together to watch yeah. the show and then yeah. talk about it at work on Monday. And I'm sure <laughs> when they got together, a room full of people, they got the cocktails ready. These are the stories I've heard so many times. Yeah. They weren't skipping that intro for sure. No. No, it's actually, uh, people have always said that to me, like, that's the one show I don't skip the intro, you know. And, <laughs> ah. and again, you got to give it up to Digital Kitchen because it's yeah. it's fun to watch. It's, it's, it's cool. And it's sure enough that you're not just beaten down by it mm-hmm. yeah you know there's certain shows i'm like okay man okay let's uh <laughs> totally let's let's get to the story let's get to the meat of the thing i'll say I as know. part of my work on the series because i i find music very evocative and sort of puts me in the right space and so i built a playlist over the years um oh, really? and obviously every year i would add a different song that you know because they would use they i think the the writers and alan were very moved by music as well as i yeah. don't know if many people know but all of our episodes are named after songs and they would find different ways what? to include them and yes i did and we would was, read <laughs> i'm so glad i'm listening script. to this podcast yeah, in the script, they would um, they would put titles of songs that they would like to play over a certain scene. And, you know, maybe you'd get it, maybe you wouldn't. But I started to create a playlist of the different songs that related to my character and their journey. And, of course, the very first song on my True Blood warm-up playlist was Bad Things. So I must have – I mean, I think when you go into my iTunes, it is the most listened song in my <laughs> simply because for seven years I listened to that song almost every day in my prepar- you know, preparatory work, and to this day, even when I hear the of HBO that like yeah. staticky thing, the first thing I hear is da 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 da. Like it's just inextricably so you, connected. And I always hear the theme song to curb your enthusiasm. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We do. Our brains make those connections. Yeah. Let's let's first let's go back to 2002 and your you know, what is your where does this song come from? Where where did your heart first find that? I was uh, I was listening to a Steve Earle record that had that groove and that chord progression, but major keyed and, and I made it minor and I was just fooling mm-hmm. with it. And there was a girl I was uh, trying to impress and uh, <laughs> I, it, it worked. It was great. <laughs> So uh, it took, took about five minutes to write. and uh, No kidding. You know, there, there's not there's not a lot to it. It's not particularly, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that I think the song was cool. Everybody always liked the song. But I think when you put the song in the context of the show, mm-hmm. that's what really gave the song life. You know, I mean, it was always it always went over well live. But now that it's connected to the show, kind of like the the uh, Alabama three song that the Sopranos used. Yep. You know. Those those visuals with that song, it's just it's iconic. And, yeah. uh, you know, so, yeah, the song I wrote the song to get a girl. I got the girl. Um, the girl then divorced me. And uh, <laughs> we both still enjoy the revenue from the song. So there you go. <laughs> it's her favorite song. Still, it is. 
how did it go? Did you get a call where they said they're thinking of using your song for this show? Basically, yeah. I uh, that song was the. I, I'll keep this brief. When when you have a sync license, a synchronization license, music to music to picture. No, there's two parts of the license. There's the mechanical, which is the actual recording, and then there's the publishing, which is the intellectual property. Mm. Well, Sony Music owned the mechanical, the physical recording, because it was on their record company, uh-huh. and EMI Publishing owned the publishing, and I was just the writer. Okay. But because I'd had some success already at EMI, I was able to... I'll tell you that later. Anyway, all they had to do uh, in my contract, I had stipulated you can't use any of my music without my written permission. It's okay. a weird thing to put in my contract, but for some reason we did hey. it. Otherwise, they would have just done it without even talking to wow. me. But they had they, Sony came to me and said, "Hey, HBO's interested in your song," and I said, "Well, I want to see what they're what they're doing." So they sent me the first two episodes. They okay. did. We were and, curious. And, yeah. And what was amazing about these episodes is there was no music. Nathan Barr hadn't scored it. No yeah. interstitial music. No, so you have no idea how dry television could be without any you're like i don't know what to feel someone tell me i don't am i scared am i sad i need strings you know something so 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 i watched those first two episodes and i was like it's a cool idea i don't know is is this gonna work i'm not really sure and i was like no to hell with it i'm broke i'm playing bass for my buddy's band downtown what am i gonna say no knock yourselves out and um so then they asked me to do I got in touch with Gary Calamar. He reached out to me. He's the guy who picked mm-hmm. all the songs that weren't Nathan Barr. Yeah. Uh, wasn't Nathan Barr uh, compositions. And uh, he said, hey, man, can you do like some different versions of this, some different feels or whatever? I was like, sure. So I got in my studio and started making just crappy versions of the song <laughs> that didn't work for me <laughs> or anyone else. Um, and I'm sending those all around because in my mind, I'm thinking, then Sony won't get the money. I'll get the money because I'll own the mechanical. Oh, but as it turns out, uh, everything I did on my own was kind of garbage. So, <laughs> okay. so, so they they stuck with the original, and and that's how it stuck. What were some of the other renditions? Did you go even twangier uh, or or creepier? Oh, no, no. Or, yeah, oh, what'd you oh, do? No, no, oh, no. I'm no I, I, there was there was no twang. Uh, <laughs> uh, I did like some kind of synthy pulsating. Okay, you know. Uh, uh, electronica type st- stuff with with much more aggressive guitars. It was all terrible. Oh, I uh, can't even picture it. That's so. They, they were yeah. good ideas. They were just very poorly executed. So, <laughs> see, this is why I I don't like to watch myself when I'm acting because I think that's what happens to me. I don't think I get better. The more I think about it, and if I see myself on a show. I think, oh gosh, don't turn your head to the left or is it the right, you know? And then don't touch your hair. Like Deb said, you know, I start, and then I think, God, my voice, who, who wants to listen to that person? (laughs) I know our brains are mean. So then you, did you just get a call after that? Cause that's a little bit of an audition when you're sending Hmm. different version. It feels like to me, different versions. So then did you get a call saying, it's done. It's a done deal. They're going to use it for, you know, the original version. Yeah. And you sign the yeah, contract, I, but you don't know I, that this is going to be a hit. No, no. And frankly, I, I didn't think it would be. Right. Based upon what I had seen, I was sure. like, I'm not sure, you know, because I was a big fan of The Wire and The Sopranos and Me all too. the stuff that was like heavy and heady. Yeah. And, 
And this like this seems a little a little silly. And right. especially yeah. without without music, it seemed yeah. very silly. Some of those scenes and the, the, in, the intro scene without music, there's no menace in it whatsoever. Oh. When the guy behind the counter, you think he's going to be a vampire, but it's yeah. really the hillbilly oh, that's, that's so the vampire. Yeah. There's no menace without the score. Yeah. And or without uh, my buddy's song uh, at the beginning of it. Um, and so it was really hard to get an emotional connection to it. OK. Yeah. Um, so I, I really had no expectation, but turns out that it went OK. I have a wonderful little career in Norway where bad things became an actual radio hit. And um, so I, I go to Norway quite a bit. And one night we were playing a venue and these girls came backstage, wanted to meet me. And they'd been they'd been uh, imbibing a bit. Uh, and, and one lady had some some really good advice for me that I, I really have been thinking about ever since. She said, you should write another hit like Bad Things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I thought, wow. God, why did I not think of that? That is a great idea. No, your whole career and never occurred to you. I had one of my Kristen. Closest... I needed you there to explain the sliding door thing to her. But she... <laughs> yeah, I had one of my closest friends say to me, "You know what? You should play the lead in like a big A movie." <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so then when you started watching the show with music and done and on television you were probably sitting there the night that it aired like you know i was right <laughs> was there a moment that you realized you were in and you liked it you were hooked that you realized oh wow this is good i actually like this well i i got to go to the premiere uh what's the little theater there center around center around that's that's what it was so they played the first two episodes and a buddy of mine lives in la uh, songwriter and actually screenwriter. Now he came with me. He was my plus one, and the opening credits came up. And as soon as they finished, he turned to me and said, "Holy shit, dude, you're in a hit!" And I was ah! like, "Okay, cool." <laughs> and I so you know, I'm just this uh, goofy Texas boy in L.A. Uh, and at this at this cool party, and uh, don't fit in in my own mind. You know, all my ins- I'm wearing all of my insecurities like a hat. Yeah. And, big Stetson and these, right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all the all these people are are milling around, famous people and pretty people, and there I am, realizing that wow, I'm I'm part of something that I don't normally get to associate with, and this is <laughs> this is going to be pretty cool. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for having me on this. It's a it's genuinely an honor. I'm a huge oh. fan of both of you ladies work and uh it's it's really sweet of you to even consider bringing me on here so thank you very much no you're kidding you were really first on our list because we we were thinking well let's start at the beginning let's start with those opening credits it's the thing that you can't not think of it's the pink elephant of true yeah. Pod in a way you yeah. know it's it it is so matches the show perfectly and i think you said it perfectly at the beginning when you said, you know, kind of the show without the music and the song without the show or the credits, kind of, they kind of needed each other to transcend. And I think they really did. Says a lot about collaboration. It does. It really, really does. What an incredible talent and such a generous man. So generous. I, you know, one thing 
we want to, you know, really highlight is that after that interview, Jace went and created a special rendition of Bad Things specifically for the Truest Blood podcast. And we're so grateful. I mean, words can't express. So really, the best thing you can do to support Jace and is to go out and check out his work, find what he's doing now and uh, support his artistry. Yes. And next week, we're going to be talking to Gary Calamar and Nathan mm-hmm. Barr about how you make a soundtrack for a show. Because as Jace mentioned, yeah, a show without a soundtrack is like dry old biscuits without the gravy. That's just not going to fly. <laughs> no. It tells us how to even feel. We don't realize it when it's done so well by Gary mm-hmm. and Nathan. I can't wait mm-hmm. to find out that process. I don't even know. Me too. We're also going to be digging in into vampire politics and vampire society. We learn a lot more about that in episode 103. So thanks for listening, Troopies. Subscribe and follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we'll see you all next week. Y'all come back now, you hear? When you came in, the air went out And every shadow filled up with a down don't know who you think you are, but before the night is through, I want to do bad things with you. I'm the cat who sit up in his room, a heart sick and eyes filled up with done to me, but I know this much is true. I want to do bad things with you. is produced by Safe Haven for HBO Max. Executive producers are Janina Kavankar, Kristen Bauer, and Deborah Ann Wool. Our producer is Gabrielle Gallon, and our audio producer is Christopher Wool. Our theme song was recorded just for this podcast by Jace Everett. Additional music was composed by Timo Chen. And remember, you can watch all of the original episodes of True Blood on HBO Max. Hey.